0: Welcome to Beyond Borders the world's first talk show made especially for English learners and global citizens with me, your host, Ethan. In every episode of this show, it is my job to guide you outside of the classroom and into the real world with life-changing insights from some of the world's best teachers, language learners, innovators, and leaders, all here to help you unleash your highest potential in your English and your life. So if you are ready to join our movement of millions, and together, create a world beyond borders, then let's get started with the show. Charlie Baxter is a creator, English teacher, and podcast host from the UK. He has always been passionate about the neuroscience of learning and graduated from university with a bachelor's of science in psychology. After studying neurolinguistic programming in England, he started his teaching journey out in Chile more than seven years ago. As a world traveler, he lived in the USA, Germany, and more recently, in Australia. Along with his friend Harry, he started the YouTube channel, Real English with Real Teachers, and he now hosts his own podcast, The British English Podcast, where he teaches British English and culture. So this is a really fun interview. Charlie was so easy to talk to and brought some great insight for your English and your life. We start off talking about travel adventures, as both of us have had a lot of them. We discuss some of the cultural differences between Australia, where he currently lives, and the UK. Charlie explained to me how he went from psychology and career guidance for young adults to teaching English online. We discuss how each of us practices mindfulness and some resources that you can use. How you can become more comfortable with making mistakes and overcome perfectionism some tips on the neuroscience of learning, and the power of curiosity. And you will improve your British and American pronunciation with some tongue twisters in today's game. And Charlie has invited me on the British English podcast for an interview. You can find that in the show notes from this episode, which will be linked in the description of this podcast. And our conversation covered so much more. This episode is full of variety, so you will definitely not get bored. And without any further ado, let's jump into episode 21 of Beyond Borders. So, Charlie, welcome to the show.
1: Hello. Thank you very much for um, having me on your show, Ethan.
0: It's an absolute pleasure. When I came across your YouTube channel, which uh, Real English with Real Teachers... It's definitely struck a chord with me. I mean, it goes hand in hand, right? Real English with real teachers, real life English. I think we have a very similar method, even though we go about it in a bit uh, kind of different ways, but really approaching English as it's spoken in the real world, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've actually seen your... um the learn English with TV series uh, thumbnails mm-hmm. popping up over the years, and I didn't <laughs> didn't associate it with you until you reached out to me because I, I knew of your other channel, but I didn't know that mm-hmm. that was your channel as well. And uh, yeah, I feel like lots of our videos, um, we wanted to capture the real English from amazing reality TV shows in the UK. And mm-hmm. yeah, I can I can totally see the logic behind your channel as well. It's great.
0: Yeah. And in case people don't know your channel yet, uh, I mean, it's, it's a pretty similar thing. It's just kind of, you have like some of the videos where you're actually going onto the street and asking random people questions and stuff. So that's really the language as it's spoken in the street. And I think that that's such a such an awesome idea. And I haven't really seen anyone else who's, I think it takes a little bit of courage. So I haven't seen anyone else that has the guts to go out and just ask strangers questions, you know, on the street and use that as a method to teach English.
1: Absolutely. It does take courage and it, it helps when you've got a friend to do it with you. And yeah. a friend who's a little bit braver than you <laughs> to just make a fool out of himself in front of random people. Right, right. Um, uh, unfortunately, we now live about 2,000 miles away from each other. I don't know how far mm-hmm. Australia is to the UK, actually. But um, yeah, he's still in the UK and I moved over to Australia. So um, the street interview videos have had to take a pause for a bit, but we've got quite mm-hmm. a few in the archive. So it's, it's it's still good.
0: Nice. And that's a perfect uh, kind of jump off point into the first question I wanted to ask you. So I saw that very similar to myself, you, the last few years, you've been traveling all over the place. And so I wanted to just start asking, what's your favorite place that you have traveled to or or lived in? I know it's a a difficult question, but if anything pops to mind or has a special place in your heart. Yeah, best of the best kind of questions always um, (laughs) throw that sense
1: of dread into the interviewee's mindset, isn't it? It's like, oh, God, I've got to think of the best answer here. And if if I answer that they they'll think that that's that's my best place I've ever been to, but uh, <laughs> one thing that does come to mind, one place that does come to mind, uh, which was pretty special to me, was um, when I went backpacking from America because I lived in Ohio for a little bit with my girlfriend, and we went mm-hmm. down to Cancun, but then we we did a, a backpacking trail through uh, all the way down to Belize, and we did um, mm-hmm. a couple of islands off of Belize. Uh, one of them was um, Ambergris Key and Key Kalka, I think. Mm-hmm. Those two islands—they they were pretty, pretty special for us. We we did some amazing snorkeling, and and the whole motto there was go slow. Like everyone was like, "Hey, mm-hmm. go slow, man," kind of chill kind of thing. <laughs> and the the fastest <laughs> thing refreshing. on the island, I think, was uh, a golf buggy. I think that was the fastest you could go. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I've been to a place like that. Uh, actually, recently I was just with my family in um, in Croatia and on an island called Lopud, and they don't have, uh, they only have uh, no cars, just golf buggies and uh, bikes and things like that. No, no proper vehicles. And another place I was in the Caribbean, Isla Mujeres, is kind of a, another place like that. There's very few cars, and if you want to get around anywhere to other parts of the island, you have to rent a, a golf buggy. So that's kind of, it's a throwback, right? To to a bit of a different time.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure if they had golf buggies back then, but yeah, I know what you mean.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but taking it slower. Also reminds me a bit of like the, I guess it's that whole Central America that in uh, Costa Rica, you have the saying is pura vida. Like, you know, live live life, live the, the purest life, uh, enjoy the moment. So it's kind of, I haven't gotten to Belize yet, but it sounds like there's a similar mentality.
1: Yeah. And we were speaking to some of the staff at the hotel that we were at, and they were like, mm-hmm. "Like, they, I asked them, do you ever travel? And they're like, it's, it's hard to find somewhere nicer. So it's it's, it's imagine, a bit of yeah. a blessing and a curse because it's like, we've only got this island, but you know, there's, mm-hmm. we live in paradise.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've always been curious what that's like for people to, if you actually live in paradise and everything, that's just your reality, then... You Know how do you perceive the rest of the world when, when you live where everyone else wants to take their vacation?
1: Exactly, and to be honest, um, as a British person living in Sydney, uh, I actually feel like I'm living in paradise here. Uh, a lot of people have various comments and opinions about Sydney versus Melbourne, but um, yeah, for a British person, Sydney is just so so beautiful, and there's just endless bays and beaches, and normally the weather is amazing, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It it feels like I'm living in paradise right now. And uh, I'm worried about potentially having family here. I I kind of like, don't like the idea of having family here. I want them to go through the struggle of the British weather to appreciate the Australian (laughs) weather.
0: (laughs) That makes sense. That makes sense. So I actually wanted to ask about that as well, because, you know, Australia, it's part of the Commonwealth. And maybe if people haven't experienced it, uh, they might think that it has a lot in common with the UK, I mean, they're both islands, although the, the size is definitely quite a bit different. But I think aside from that, they are they're worlds apart in some sense. So one of the things I was just curious is if you could give any examples of that, anything that's really shocked you as a British person living in Australia.
1: Yeah. Uh, the,
0: the first thing I noticed that uh, was different
1: was their time, um, of uh, like their schedule in the day. They're very much early, mm-hmm. early risers. They get up at the crack of dawn around hmm. five isn't uncommon probably six but a lot of people get up at five and go for a coastal walk along bondi or or some of the mm-hmm. eastern beaches um get their first coffee before seven and then they're in bed by eight or nine p.m which yeah to europeans and i mean i th- I think you're in are you in barcelona right
0: now right yeah yeah
1: yeah so that must be a, a world apart from you <laughs>
0: Definitely. Yeah. I stick to more of the American schedule for sure. I am more like to get up early, go to bed earlier and everything, but it definitely, it does not fit in with the the local timekeeping.
1: Right. Yeah. We were actually talking about this last weekend with a, a friend that we made at a party. She was French and she loved this new get up early, go to bed early kind of mindset. And she, she goes to the beach and meditates in the morning before everyone gets up and stuff. And she really wants to keep that routine when she goes back to france but she kind of mentioned how maybe it will be frustrating when people are saying oh come out with us like a, and and yeah. we start the night at 10 p.m. or something do do you have that problem with socializing and they always want to start later than you'd like to
0: yeah obviously i'm more flexible on the weekend because it is for that uh that otherwise you know you could just not really see friends and stuff, because even if you just want to get dinner with someone, it's on the weekend, It would at the earliest 8 p.m., but usually more around 9 p.m., even 10 p.m. So, you know, uh, and, and then if you want to do anything after that, it's hard to get to bed before 1 or 2 a.m. So on the weekend, I'll, I'll give a little bit more flexibility, but during the week, I'll have more discipline. I don't tend to get together with people and stuff just so that I can, uh, you know, get up early, have my morning routine and everything and really hit the day running
1: yeah wow okay nice nice yeah um the other thing that I, I i think that is sort of ingrained in the culture that i kind of see partly because of my job like i've i, I do a, a podcast of um british culture and stuff like that and so i really try to pick up on these things and uh, yeah. i think the fact that um we've got like this long-standing uh class-based system in the uk um it, it has a different outlook at the end of it compared to Australians where they've kind of started fairly recently in terms of um you know the last 400 300 years or so and uh they i think they all feel a little bit more like they're all, all on the same playing field um i think a fancy word for it is an egalitarian system or well, they're mm-hmm. quite proud of that um whereas yeah. we've got this you know working class i should say or middle class upper class kind of thing. Yeah. And we, yeah, there's there's a lot there that is subconsciously affecting the way that we behave.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, uh, it sounds like Australia maybe is a little bit more similar to the US in that respect, being a, a newer country. We've been able to kind of break away from the the old way of doing things and a lot of focus on democracy and equality and all that jazz. Exactly,
1: yeah. And there's there's one example that I really thought like personified it in the modern day and that was mm-hmm. a, a TikTok account that got quite famous uh, where they go up in, in America, they go up to um, people in really expensive fast cars. And this guy says, mm-hmm. what do you do for a living? And and they tell them <laughs> how they made their money and, and what they did. And they say, congratulations, on with your day and stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I realized that that would not work in England. That would just be, really? that would be really, really awkward. And I think it might be to do with the fact that there must be a lot of heritage and like old money and stuff like that. It'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, it's my dad's money, or it, I don't know, <laughs> but it could be like that. It could be perceived. Yeah, yeah. That.
0: Maybe your your dad's in in, in the UK. Your dad's a, an earl or a duke or a lord of some, <laughs> some sorts that has passed down the family money to you.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: And uh, yeah, so that's that's quite interesting. Just the the timekeeping. That's that's definitely surprising for me because I don't know my, with Australian. Obviously, the American stereotype of Australians is they're all surfers and they're all, you know, they're throwing a shrimp on the barbie and everything that people tend to say. And so I don't know why I think, you know, that they're they're taking it, like you said in Belize, like taking it slow and everything, and waking up later and going at their own rhythm and stuff. But uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's quite surprising. They're up with the the sunrise.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. I I was a bit shocked, but at the same time, they're they're laid back, but they're also like quite law abiding, especially in the state mm-hmm. that I'm in, which is New South Wales. It's, they call it a nanny state. So they have a lot of rules mm-hmm. and yeah, they abide by them and they get quite upset if you don't abide by them. And, um, they fine you heavily if you do <laughs> if you don't, I got mm-hmm. like a $500 fine when I got here for, for going past a, a red like arrow to turn left at the traffic lights. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So they get up early, and they are laid back in some ways, but they're also law-abiding. Oh,
0: It's quite surprising, yeah. Uh, the, the other thing I wanted to ask you off that, because you have the British English podcast, and uh, but the last few years you've been traveling a lot, you've been all over the world, and, and now living in Australia, that's an English-speaking country, but the, the English is quite different. Are you losing your British accent at all, or is it, has it been influenced by the, the, the Aussie way of speaking?
1: I don't think I I am losing it. It definitely does help that you know I'm practicing. I'm, I'm recording pronunciation courses on how to have a British accent. So my mm-hmm. my mindset is very consciously thinking about British pronunciation. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, wherever we've gone, I, I haven't. I, I don't think I've picked up too much of a twang. Uh, like an American kind of touch on it, or a or an Australian. When I was younger, I I used to think it was quite cool to try and blend in and and have a little bit of an accent of the local area. But yeah, I'm quite I'm quite quite happy being British.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a nice accent for sure. Uh, I think that from the U.S. perspective, it definitely would give you a sense of class and everything in the U.S. Because we tend to think that you know British people are very. Very elegant, very classy. Is it? Uh, do you think it's a similar perspective in Australia? How how do people, maybe everyday people, you go to the supermarket? Uh, how does the the clerk react to hearing your British accent?
1: It was funny because we we went from America. Well, we did have a stint in Germany, but um, we we had this kind of thought of, ah, oh, Americans really like British accents. Will will it will be nice to go to Australia and, and people will maybe like be um, pleasantly surprised to to meet somebody from out, uh, overseas or something. And then we arrived and the first Australian that we got in contact with um, said, ah, oh, he's a bloody pommy, which I don't know if you <laughs> know means like a... Um, well, it's like a slang word for an English person, but like a, uh-huh. I think there's an etymology of it. I'm not sure if it's a myth or not, but um, prisoner of the mothership or the motherland, mm. and it means that they're trapped in the 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 ship place, <laughs> the terrible place. <laughs> I di- I didn't ask. Are we are we allowed to swear on this show?
0: Yeah, I think I think it's fine. It's a <laughs> pretty liberal show, so
1: yeah. So uh, we were like, oh no, we're not going to be loved here. Let's go back to
0: America. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's quite funny. That's like a, a very opposite perspective of, of in the U.S. So that must have been uh, quite the shock when you first arrived then to, to have people treating you a little bit different with uh, based on the accent.
1: Yeah, we definitely don't get any um, special treatment because of it.
0: <laughs> well, I'll shift gears a little bit. So uh, getting more into a bit of your your history as a, as a teacher, um one of the things I thought was really interesting is that you were a life coach for about a year for career guidance for people around 16 or 17 years old. So what was that like? And how did how do you think that influenced your teaching? You did do your homework, didn't you? Very, yeah, very yeah. good. Yeah, <laughs> well done. Uh, yeah, I, I feel
1: like it, it influenced it massively at the beginning. And I suppose the natural trajectory kind of it, well, it went in that direction and it's been going that way for a while. So it probably did affect it ever since. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, the main focus for me was was never um, linguistics to get into it. It, it, the language part of it. It, it was more about um, communication and uh, enjoying helping somebody feel good about what they're doing and...
0: Mm-hmm.
1: At the beginning, it, it was like they, they would come to me in the coaching sense. They would be unsure of what they want to do in a career and and kind of guide them into the next uh, wet area that they want to be guided to use, using their own thoughts, not mine. But um, mm-hmm. then the transition was kind of just to teaching English. English. It was it was for them to enjoy learning English and and coming to class and and feeling inspired to come again and and continue to have that motivation to excel and, and, you know, commit to it really. Mm -hmm. And it, it, yeah, it went in in many directions the way that I would teach it. But um, I feel like the, the energy as to why I was doing it was, was basically, I want them to feel excited and and passionate about showing up to class and, and having fun with a, another human.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's quite interesting because it they're both very related to people's life path, to their career path. Obviously, if you're helping a, a young person figure out what do you want to do with your life, but English so much is like that as well because it opens so many doors for you that if you don't speak English, won't be open for you, especially nowadays in this globalized world. I think especially since COVID, uh, working remotely has become some more so much more commonplace that if you speak English really well and you're, you have like certain skills, all of a sudden there's all these opportunities to work for a company maybe that's, that's in another country, uh, as long as you're able to communicate in English. So, Absolutely. um, yeah. yeah, I noticed too, that you had, uh, you've had like different YouTube channels. One of them, you used to help people kind of doing coaching, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I saw one video, for example, that was helping people to figure out what their passion is. So what was that transition for you going from, coaching people to to teaching English
1: well initially it was kind of like um I'm gonna be trapped I so I came out of university having read psychology and then Mm -hmm. I did um a training in NLP and mindfulness and Mm -hmm. fell in love with mindfulness and and started teaching it to eight-year-olds because I kind of felt like if if people learn this skill at eight they're going to be such emotionally intelligent humans. And I feel like we need a lot more emotional intelligence in our life. So Mm -hmm. that was, that was the starting point. And then, um, it was at a point where I was moving back from university to, to live with my parents and Mm -hmm. my girlfriend had moved to America. So I was a bit desperate to kind of find my own way and, and, and travel at the same time and experience a new chapter. So, uh, I found that teaching was a a perfect solution for um, keeping that kind of motivation to help people, but also allow me to travel and and experience new cultures. So it was kind of like a side hustle that turned into a full blown career. But it was always in the back of my mind for the for the first four or five years, it was in the back of my mind that I would come away from that and go back to the coaching and the and being a therapist and a, a psychological sort of coach, as you will, um, mm-hmm. in the future. But yeah, I, I found other ways that have interested me with teaching English and found it really interesting diving into the cultural aspect of it that I've, I've kind of gone 100% into this area.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to come back to that. But since you mentioned mindfulness, is that something that you still practice? And and if so, how do you practice that? Uh, do you have a meditation practice or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I uh, I go through waves of being... Um, practiced in it in terms of sitting down and and kind of having a little chime that reminds me to focus on my breath and and sometimes I I have guided meditations in fact I do do listen to um, a German um, I don't like the word spiritual guide I I really find that tricky for some reason I don't know if do, do you find that tricky because Americans, I feel like you guys are much more comfortable with this whole self-development industry.
0: Uh, I can see where you're coming from with that. I, I think I've evolved in it a little bit. I, I don't have a problem with spiritual, but I think that it's one of those loaded words nowadays that it, it's kind of been abused, in a sense. Mm. So I think you have to really be a little bit careful when, like with anything that's that's kind of selling spirituality. But I think that, that is, it's important that whatever you kind of identify that with for you, that you have some sort of spiritual practice or mindfulness practice or something that gets you in touch with that, uh, for lack of a better word, that kind of like higher level of yourself.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Nicely put. Yeah. So whatever label we throw at this, this guy, Eckhart Tolle, he's a German Mm, guy and he teaches a lot about ego and trying to let go of that. And uh, yeah, I listen to that quite a lot. Um, falling asleep and and that reminds me to try and put it into place in the day um but since coming out of uni which was nine ten years ago 10 years ago oh god I'm getting on a bit um <laughs> i i've I've used it literally every day I, I feel like I'm more more grateful I, I kind of take a few more breaths every now and then and 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 try to appreciate what I have as cheesy as that sounds but it, it has definitely had a, a lasting effect on me. So I, I love it. I absolutely love mindfulness.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's fantastic. So what, uh, do you mind
1: me asking what, what about you? Do, do you know it? Uh, do you know much about it? Have you ever tried it? Do you like it? Is it part yeah, of your yeah. life? It's,
0: it's something, I mean, I, I kind of mentioned it's important to be in touch with that. I mean, I, I meditate every day. I'm sure I could focus more time on that. I used to I focus more time on that in the past. Uh, I even did, I don't know if you've heard of Vipassana, but I did a 10-day silent Vipassana meditation retreat uh, when I was 23, maybe 23 or 24. And uh, that was certainly very impactful on my life. Nowadays, though, its I make sure that I have that practice every day because its I'm not the same person without it. It's almost uh, actually like the metaphor used of brushing your teeth a little bit that, you know, people who don't brush their teeth ever, they they don't miss it. But when you Get in the habit of brushing your teeth every day. When you don't brush your teeth, you kind of like you feel that disgusting film on your teeth, and I think uh, that's kind of used a metaphor with meditation. That when you get used to meditating, the days that you don't meditate, something just feels off. You know, it's almost as if you you haven't showered or something, and in a sense that it's just like yeah, you're 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 missing something. And so uh, that's something that's really important for me. I, I meditate every day. Started a couple of years ago using I don't know if you know uh, Sam Harris, but I started using his app called waking up. Yes. Um, and it's interesting cause you mentioned kind of like breathing and, and stuff like this, which, uh, one of the things that he's added on his app is, um, I think it's called, he calls it moments or something like that, but it's, it's just a randomly at some point in the day, a notification will pop up on your phone saying like, take a moment. And it's just like, um, usually less than one minute of audio of him just like you know, uh, it's not really a guided meditation, but it's kind of just to get you to reflect for a moment and to, to step outside, you know, of, uh, whatever you're, you're in, in that moment. So that's, uh, a really big part of his method is that meditation shouldn't just be something where you're sitting and meditating, but rather it should be something that you're able to tap into, uh, throughout the day, you know, that maybe you're taking a break from work and you just kind of check in, you know, and it allows you to, to be a little bit more present in the moment and not so wrapped up in, in the future or the past and in your worries and your stresses and all that jazz.
1: Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, I, I like Sam Harris. Um, that's amazing that you did that long retreat though, the silent retreat. What what hmm. made you uh, decide to go for that thing? And, and was that the entry for you? Because that's going from nothing to a hundred miles an hour
0: yeah. if you're in a car. It's a good question. I, it was not the entry for me, uh, but it definitely it definitely was the most intense experience I'd had, uh, up to that point. But, um, I, I just had some, uh, some different friends who had done it and had recommended it over and over again. It took me a while just to wrap my head around that. Cause I, I had a lot, a lot of fear just about not speaking for 10, 10 days doing it's, um, uh, I don't know if it's 10 hours or 12 hours, something like that per day of just sitting silent meditation. And, you know, that's...
1: Didn't you get a sore bum?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, not as much the... The thing that was killer was my knees, I think, just being in the lotus position, you know, uh, all day. So... <laughs> is that is that good for you? I'm sure it's not. Uh, definitely if I were to repeat it or if I were to design something myself, I think I, I would make it a little bit more integral in the sense that uh, you're not supposed to do anything that could be distracting to other people. So y- you're not supposed to do like yoga, you're not supposed to, to like run or anything like that. I definitely would do something more integral where you'd maybe take a break. Maybe it could be all silent, but you'd take a break and go for a run or, or do some yoga or do something, you know, to just like move your body in a different way. Because I don't think that that's necessarily so healthy. But one of the interesting things is the first couple of days, it's quite excruciating, but then because you're in general, in that situation, you're, you're getting guided and everything you're getting better at the meditation and stuff. You can start to look and identify with pain in a different way where it doesn't become a negative thing anymore. You're able to just kind of observe it. And, and in a sense, it can even come to the point where it's, it's pleasurable in the sense that it's, it's, um, I think it's pleasurable from the point of view of not, you know, not needing to get so wrapped up in it. Cause usually when we're in pain, we just, uh, we're just circling in our mind. We're like in a downward spiral of trying to, trying to make it stop. So it's pleasurable from that sense of being able to step outside and, and just look at it without judging it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that is mad. Uh, that actually reminded me uh, of one lesson that I, I took from it. and I'm trying to apply it to my learning mm-hmm. Spanish. And I've been, uh, so I, I lived in Santiago in, in Chile and my Spanish was pretty terrible. Like I could get mm-hmm. by with just ordering some things but other than that I, I fell into an English bubble and um, and then I moved to Germany and I kind of got distracted with uh, Spanish and so I came back to it mm-hmm. three months ago and um, I felt almost like I was a beginner again um, mm. and I was making so many mistakes and I was getting frustrated and, and and getting embarrassed with with how long I'd been trying to learn Spanish and one thing that I, I learned in, in that whole mindfulness stuff is uh, like that that initial thought that comes to mind of, oh, I made a mistake, it then does exactly it, it kind of loops back to you if you're if you're focusing on it. And then that focus on on focusing on that pain intensifies mm-hmm. it. I mean, it's it's basically what you're saying about the spiralling effect. But it's yeah. it's nice to just breathe through that and and let it kind of sink in and I, I've sometimes mm-hmm. just tried to step back and look at the the zoom class that I'm in I'm like oh it doesn't actually matter if I do if I if I make a really if I do something really awkward right now like I can walk away from this zoom class and it, it won't affect me it it really won't mm-hmm. and so I've kind of been adopting that and just being an absolute idiot in class and it's it's <laughs> been working to some degree
0: well, it's a lot more fun that way as well. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So yeah.
0: So and you're referring to Spanish, right? Just to make sure, <laughs> to to learning Spanish, that you've gotten used to just being silly, sounding like an idiot, making those mistakes that are that are normal, that are necessary to make, right?
1: <laughs> That's in my Spanish classes as the student. Yes, definitely.
0: <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, had uh, it's actually been a couple months ago now, but I had it. out as an S on, and we kind of talked about this, and he mentioned that mindfulness too in a situation where say you're like at a party and you're going to speak some language and it's all those voices start to come up in your head and almost having that mindfulness practice can be useful to kind of step outside and, and, and observe the situation, um, you know, without in a more objective sense, without being so judgy about that, you might make a mistake or that people might laugh at you or whatever the case is that, that won't be such a big deal. Uh, but yeah, I think that that's, that's interesting. It's definitely an interesting way to attach meditation, for example, to learning a language or learning anything else that's going to be very uncomfortable and stuff and being able to step outside and kind of observe and become okay with those things. Um, as long as we're talking about mistakes. Yeah.
1: Sorry. Uh, have you have you ever thought about like te- making a, a course of some sort in, in terms of applying mindfulness to learning languages?
0: Uh, I mean, it's kind of, a small part of our methodology for learning English, which we call the real life way. So we want to create a course on that eventually. I mean, we have, uh, the app that we launched a few months ago. And I think our, one of our future visions of that is to actually have a, a course that walks people through the methodology. And I'm sure that will be a, an integral part of it will be, um, having some sort of mindfulness practice that allows you to kind of get those skills that you need to, to look at life in a more objective sense, um, at some points and to, the psychological part of it too. That's just being okay with making mistakes and and not being perfectionist and, uh, you know, being able to accept those as a necessary and, and really useful part of the process.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think I mentioned earlier that my YouTube partner, Harry, he's much more comfortable at making a fool out of himself in front of other people and, and just going up to them and seeing how things go. And when we were in Spain, um, and Italy actually no I mean, I, I, yeah no both both we went to valencia once and his his spanish has come on quite a lot and he was just so comfortable talking to people and then in italy he he barely had any italian but he was using his spanish to try and um help him through it and uh, it, it was just amazing to see how you can genuinely accelerate your learning so much quicker if you get mm-hmm. over that psychological barrier so even though we we like focus all of our attention on vocabulary and grammar and all of this stuff i feel like the mm-hmm. psychological part of how to learn a language is is such a shortcut that we kind of don't really have in the mainstream yet and i feel yeah. like it's it's something that is going to come definitely it's growing
0: in popularity for sure uh yeah those people who are fortunate enough i guess fortunate enough in some sense uh, we all have uh, our own our own strengths but that they don't really care what people think about them, that, that definitely makes it easier when you learn a language because, uh, I mean, I'm more the same as you, but I think people I've met that are like that, they're just able to throw themselves into the situation and make mistakes and have fun with it and, and play around and laugh at themselves. And I feel like for, for me, that's definitely been a, uh, a growth process. Something I've had to discover in my own language learning and everything is, you know, it's okay okay to make mistakes. It's, it's, it's okay if people laugh, like figure out why they're laughing and laugh at it too. And, uh, all these different things that, uh, in a sense, is just not taking yourself so seriously. Right.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. I was just thinking also the, the flip side of that is, you know, talking so much and, and not really realizing your mistakes and pe- people sometimes go, go that extra distance of, of not even, appreciating their mistakes and th- and therefore never really progress with it so I feel like yeah there's definitely a balance between being self-aware like we might be a bit shy but we also probably learn from our mistakes but we're slow at progressing but then the other side would be you know blurting every mistake out but not being mindful of what yeah. your mistakes are in the moment
0: yeah yeah it's great if you have that because it's, it, it's in sense, it's a, it's a confidence just to go out there and make all the mistakes and stuff, but you also need to have the, that more sober part. If, if that is you, you need to have that more sober part that can come and, uh, have maybe the deliberate practice to figure out, okay, what are these mistakes and actually be solving them. So it's not just something that gets fossilized or, or sticks with you for, uh, for your, your entire language learning journey. Um, and I, I was going to ask about that too, is, uh, I, I saw a quote in one of your videos that I really loved because you said, uh, think of mistakes as the fast track path to fluency and change the word to "mistake," which is like a, a take like a, you have in a when you're filming a movie or something, you have you have a take is uh, tr- uh, trying to film a certain scene, for example, and you might do another take if you make a mistake in that take. So uh, and you said the next take, you'll be better. So it's like really shifting the how you think about that word. Uh, and I saw in another video, uh, actually with your girlfriend that she mentioned that she thinks you're a perfectionist. So I was just kind of curious how you've dealt with that perfectionism, how you've psychologically kind of just dealt with your, if you have that with your, your own relationship with mistakes.
1: Yeah. With work, I found that, that that's kind of why I've, I've loved digging into the podcast world because with, video I've been I'd started down the journey of videography as well as doing YouTube and I was doing weddings and real estate and stuff and I was trying to pull that kind of um, cinematic if you will kind of style and and try to bring it into educational English videos but it's it's just so time consuming and whereas podcasts I feel like um, all it took for me was to research how to get, like, professional voiceover standard audio. And then that's it. That's, that's like, the perfectionist kind of of quality done with. And, and now I can focus entirely on the content. So mm-hmm. before I was focusing on just, you know, the next shot, next angle, how I'm going to get the, the video to develop and the story and everything like that. But now I just sit in my sound booth and I can, I can play around with language and content in whatever way I want. And it, it it's mm-hmm. progressing, it's helping me progress in a much faster way than, um, my YouTube channel was because of, you know, the, the perfectionism within the video that had to be constantly thought about. So, yeah, yeah, that, I don't know if that answered your question, but <laughs> that's how I feel like recently.
0: Yeah. Finding, uh, a, finding a, a path that works better for you to, to deal with that, uh, is there anything you've done for your, for example, with, with Spanish, you kind of mentioned, you know, that you'll, you'll, you've flipped things on, on their head. So you're kind of just showing up and, 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 um, and leaning into the silliness in a sense. Uh, and is there any advice that you give to your students? Maybe if they're, they have more of that perfectionist mindset and, and how they can overcome that?
1: Yeah. Uh, at the moment, the main focus for the um, people in my, uh, I, I've got like an academy behind the the podcast and in, in the group classes uh, that we do each week, I'm almost like uh, congratulating them and I make people kind of congratulate each other when they make a mistake. <laughs> so it, instead of congratulating those that do well, I, I'm a bit of a hypocrite actually, because when they do use the language brilliantly i i I get gobsmacked and i'm just like that was amazing unbelievable but um yeah i'm really really trying to push them to see mistakes as like a fast track way as you as you just um said to to understand the the phrase because when i'm teaching the phrase i have no idea how a non-native is going to interpret a, a phrase and think oh i can use it in this way and they'll very often map it onto a phrase that they've kind of thought is similar in their language perhaps and obviously I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna have that understanding until it comes up so that mistake really helps me as a teacher see how a learner is perceiving it and how they think that they could use it and therefore I can I can very quickly say no no okay no it, it can't be used in the, you know the present progressive or something like that it can't be used like that it needs to be used with a an object at the end of the sentence so mm-hmm. yeah they're really useful. I think mistakes.
0: Yeah. That's really flipping things, uh, on their head in a sense I did. And it reminds me, I did a improv. It was like improv for business class, uh, once. And w- I, one of the exercises I thought was absolutely brilliant because uh, it, w- it was doing some like really, uh, like a difficult kind of routine that involved, you know, clapping and, and moving your arms and, and things like this. It's just like something that mechanically was very difficult to do. So obviously you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And, uh, what the, the coach basically said is that, okay, you know, every time you make a mistake, you're going to, you know, cheer and stuff. So it was just kind of to (laughs) exactly to do that, to reprogram our relationship with making mistakes and having it instead of being like, you know, most people will be like, ah, you know, dang it, I made a mistake and they get really angry at themselves. So it's, it's really just to flip that and be like, okay, let's, let's actually, um, have some deliberate practice trying to celebrate every time we make a mistake so that you kind of reprogram that chip in your head and and how you're viewing the your relationship with how uh, about making mistakes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Nice. I, you're making me think I need to um, start a tally with my Spanish lessons <laughs> and, and make sure before the end of the class, I've, I've completed a gate or something like that.
0: Yeah, that could be. I guess another a good thing for teachers to try to is celebrating when you make mistakes, maybe uh, counting up the mistakes and giving people like some sort of small prize or something like that, you know, if they if they make a certain amount of mistakes. or uh, Actually, I saw a video once with Benny Lewis, uh, you know, his polyglot who's learned, I don't know how many languages, probably over a dozen. Yeah, the Irish one. Right, the Irish one. One of the, the, the tools that he used is he'd ask people, you know, to go out for a drink with him and every time that he made a mistake, if they caught him making a mistake, he would you know, buy them a drink or buy like a, you know, the next round. So oh, nice. it really changed people's relationship. They were trying to to find him making a mistake and, and correct it and stuff. Because a lot of times when you speak with natives, as long as they can understand you, if they're not a teacher, they're probably not going to correct your mistakes. Uh, yeah. But that's kind of fun too, because it just changes, you know, the whole, the whole relationship with that.
1: Yeah. As you said, yeah, that completely flips it on the other side. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a good technique. <laughs>
0: Like that. Yeah. Hey there, Real Lifer. Have you downloaded the Real Life English app yet? On the app, Andrea and I will guide you beyond the classroom to live, learn, and even speak English in the real world. So how do we do this? To start with, you can listen to the Real Life English podcast and Beyond Borders Talk Show, even this very episode, with digital transcripts so that you can follow along and develop your listening fluency. Plus, check dozens of definitions of all the most difficult vocabulary, idioms, phrasal verbs, slang, and so much more that you won't find anywhere else or in any other podcast. And how would you like to develop real-life speaking confidence at the touch of a button by speaking with other learners while making friends across cultures? Sounds like a dream, right? Well, now with the Real Life app, it will be a dream come true. Download the app to listen to our podcast with transcripts and definitions whenever and wherever you want and speak with people from all around the world. What are you waiting for? Join our global community today by clicking the link in the description of this podcast or by going to www.reallifeglobal.com app, that's A-P-P, or simply search for the Real Life English app in the Google Play or Apple App Store today and let us guide you beyond the classroom to live and learn and speak English in the real world. Aw yeah! I might shift a little bit coming back to uh, that, that you've studied uh, kind of like neuroscience, psychology. Um, I saw that you're passionate about the neuroscience of learning, which might also be called learning how to learn. So I was just wondering if you could, um, do you have any ideas, maybe like two or three, that every learner needs to know about learning? Um, one thing that I get surprised with,
1: and I, I feel like people are, are really... Getting more aware of it because of the way that apps uh, are helping us and and flashcards and stuff. But one thing that I I sometimes am amazed with is that people don't understand like the way that you get memory from short from working memory to short term to long term. I feel like it was it was like you know psychology one hundred and one, even not in psychology. It was like in our secondary school, um, yeah, obligatory. (laughs) school but I've I've found that some people don't quite understand like they need to constantly go through this repetition process to to get to the long term which yeah astonished me but um yeah I suppose with learning how to learn um without going too far into the um like neural pointers and, and things like that um Mm. I think when 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 stress gets involved it blocks Mm -hmm. us massively so although we could be talking about mistakes as well but it's more about um I don't know if this aligns but you know when you're having a conversation like right now you're hosting a podcast and you're trying to have this nice conversation between the both of us and you've got a lot of notes beside you and you're constantly thinking of balancing between listening to me and thinking right what's next how do I keep this show going Mm -hmm. and obviously being the host you've you've kind of got to do that but in a natural conversation the best solution I've found is to simply just be as active as possible in the moment listening to the person it's Mm -hmm. um, a bit like that exercise you know when you're in a group and they say, right, we're going to come around and and you've got to think of three interesting things about you. And you're the last person in the group, but you hear zero of every single other person because you've been focusing on, oh my God, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? Mm -hmm. And I think it it kind of comes back to the same uh, thing with absorbing the language around you. If, If you're focused on your ego, if you're focused on you, then you're not getting the best out of the experience in terms of learning potential. So yeah, letting go of the ego is is a, is a fantastic tool in terms of absorbing as much as you can in, in, in the now I'd say.
0: Yeah. That's uh, I think that goes back to, to what we were talking about with mindfulness, because that can really be a useful tool when you're listening to someone. I think uh, this, this happens in your native language, but when you're learning another language too, uh, there's an added layer that you're already kind of thinking about, you know, what I'm going to, what am I going to say? How am I going to say it and stuff? You're, you might already be putting the, pace, the pieces in your head to respond to that person rather than actually listening to what they're telling you and really being present in that conversation. So um, mindfulness can be helpful with that because it can it can help you to notice when you've gone off in your mind and you're just you're just listening with the intent to reply and rather than actually listening to the content of what the person's saying you can catch yourself and be like oh i'm i'm doing that thing i need to come back to the moment really listen to this person and then when they finish talking that's when you formulate what you have to say and i think that too that gets you out of the it gets you in the habit you know of thinking in english or the target language and uh, just being better at spontaneously Uh, responding to people so that you're not getting in the trap of translating in your head or or things like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Yesterday I had a class and one of the students was, was trying to use a phrase that um, I had defined slightly differently to how she had perceived it. And every Mm -hmm. time I kind of corrected her, she, she wasn't willing to take it on board. And it made, it reminded me of with learning Spanish, if I, if I take a phrase and I try to use it myself and i've invested time in it i've i've attached ego to it i've attached self importance and because i i i think i know it and mm-hmm. when a teacher rejects it it's again about whether you're attached to that or not and and some people are really attached to that and they can't let go i sometimes can't let go and it really slows the whole learning process down so mm-hmm. yeah i think i think it's it's definitely something to take the time to really understand and, and, and figure out how to be mindful of it again.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, has so many useful, so many uses, mindfulness when you're, when you actually start practicing that. Yeah. Uh, and, and
1: another one that just came to mind is, um, mm. there was one in, in NLP, I think it's called deductive learning. And it's, um, mm-hmm. I might be getting that term wrong. It's about 10 years ago now, but, um, the idea of when you, when you get a new piece of information we tend to categorize into something that we understand like we we label it we we give it a box and we we like to put things in boxes don't we um whereas in a new language the culture has affected the language a lot and very often we can't quite associate the grammar the syntax whatever it is in in the language doesn't compute with our brains and we've got to stay out of our native brain essentially um so to to not be putting language into into different boxes that we already think that we know is a really nice way of kind of trying to stay outside of the the native brain i'd say
0: yeah. Like. It's kind of interesting when you, if you learn multiple languages too, you kind of see that each language, it gives you a little bit different way of thinking and putting things together and, and whatnot. So it's, it really is uh, it's like putting puzzle pieces together in some sense with each language that you learn. And, and then like when you actually speak that language, I think it, it affects your personality, obviously, but it also just affects maybe how you view things a little bit compared to when you speak your native language or when you speak another language.
1: Yeah. Have you, um, learned another language that's really different to English?
0: Yeah. It's the, the one that's most different, uh, I spent a little while learning Hebrew. I didn't make it that far. I think I spent probably six months or 10 months. I kind of lost my motivation because, uh, I don't remember where I'm, was moving to at the point, I don't know if I moved back to Brazil, I think I've moved back to Brazil or something. And so then just with, it was too much with Portuguese and with trying to maybe in some sense, maintain other languages to keep that up. But, uh, definitely it was, it gave me some respect for people coming from, you know, uh, Semitic languages, Arabic, Hebrew, um, Farsi. I don't know if that's actually Semitic, but coming from just languages that are very different, definitely gave me a lot more empathy because in a sense, if you speak English, learning French, uh, Spanish, um, Catalan, Italian, these different Latin languages or learning German, there's a lot more similarities and stuff. The, even like, you know, the script's the same, so it's not nearly as challenging. Right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've never, never gone in, in the direction of anything ridiculous. Like, um, I don't know, like, um, yeah, Cantonese or Mandarin or, or Mm. I feel like Russian would be a real struggle as well. Um, but, uh, I, for some reason, I feel like there might be a second a, a, a superpower behind it. That because you're not able to attach anything to it, it's kind of like mm-hmm. you're being reborn into a language where you can't map things together. But mm-hmm. I'm
0: sure I'm wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, in a sense, I, I can definitely see that. That uh, you you have to accept, in some sense, that you're going to feel a bit like a child and stuff. That that really that beginner's mindset and whatnot, just leaning into the. The uncomfortableness and everything of it. Uh, on the, uh, and on the other hand, I think that's kind of important to make sure that you're not mapping it out too much based on your native language, because that's where a lot of mistakes tend to come from. It's just that we want to say the things in the same way that we would say it in our native language, and it uh, rarely actually will carry over in that way. So uh, translating in your head, for example, is something, it's a bad habit that learners really need to try to break. Uh, and starting just to think in the language, even, if, even when you're a very beginner, just starting to, to try to say things in your head in the the target language. So if you're learning English in, in English, uh, so that you break those habits of, of translating first and that way you won't make those mistakes that are carrying over from your native language as much.
1: Yeah. Do you, do you find that hard to, to do yourself in, in the languages that you're learning? or have learned?
0: Yeah, probably depends on the day in some sense, but uh, I think in, in the languages I know well, it's it's gotten easier. I'm, I'm sure I, I still do it from time to time. Um, but again, the languages I speak best are, are Catalan, Spanish, which are languages that they have that Latin base, which a lot of things exist in English and everything. So it's not as hard. I'm sure if I pursued Hebrew more, for example, I'm sure that I would be making a lot more of those mistakes and stuff. But yeah, in a sense, from what you were saying, if it's different enough, you can't really lean on that in the same way because like Spanish and English are close enough that, you know, um, you can get away with saying something like how you would say it in English in Spanish and, and have the person probably still understand you. But in Hebrew, because like so many things change, the grammatically, for example, the grammar is very different than you know, if you probably tried to say it exactly like you would in English, people won't understand you and stuff. So it's in some sense, I suppose you you don't have that same crutch.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you do you have uh, children by any chance? No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> I
0: have I a dog. I was just wondering. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> do you speak to your dog in Spanish or English?
0: No, in Catalan, completely.
1: Uh, oh, Catalan. I have sorry, some yeah.
0: commands, I guess, in English, but mostly uh, in Catalan. So weird weird thing, I suppose, because I had my parents here a couple of months ago and, uh, you know, even like around them that they speak English, it's like weird for me to speak to her in English because it's like always i have spoken to her in Catalan. So.
1: Wow. How long, uh, sorry for your listeners to hear this repeatedly, because I'm sure you've told them, but, or they know of mm. it, but how long have you been in, is it Barcelona Yeah,
0: Yeah. Uh, coming up in five years now. Okay.
1: And do you feel like you've, um, settled in, and you're going to be there for a, a long period of time.
0: Well, I'm definitely, like uh, I could see myself here long term. But I feel like I'm, I'm getting that itch a little bit now that I like. To, I'm, I'm kind of looking for maybe what's uh, a new adventure of some sort. So maybe somewhere else in Europe, or even going back to the states and living in a in a different city, just because. Uh, I haven't lived in the States since college and I haven't really lived that many places in the States. So it kind of could be a way to rediscover my own country in some sense. Um, and just to be closer to family, especially as my, my parents are getting older and I I have two nephews. So it's something I definitely think about more and more.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It sounds quite a similar situation. I haven't been living in in the UK since, um, yeah, a year after graduating. I'm I'm, uh, starting to get Excited about going back and living in London, and I've never lived in London actually because I grew up just oh, yeah. out, just outside of London. So uh-huh. it'll be cool; it'll be really cool to go back and uh, yeah, fall back in love with with the country that we were raised in. You, you were raised in America,
0: right? In yeah. The United States. I was born yeah. like uh, in, in uh, the same town until I was uh, eighteen. I, I, I did a study abroad in Germany. That was like my first time leaving my hometown, you know, besides travels, obviously, but, uh, but yeah. And then in college, I went to college in the same state. So I've never, I've never even lived outside of my, my home state.
1: Which was your home state? Colorado.
0: Colorado, exactly. The the Southwest, yeah. yeah. Are you a skier? Yeah, I am a skier. So that's something I'm probably, I'm going actually in a few weeks, uh, spending Christmas there. So I'm sure that's one of the things that that I'll be doing is going skiing, hitting the slopes. In... Back home, in Colorado. In Colorado. Yeah, right. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But
1: do you do you go to the Italian Alps or French Alps at
0: all? No, I went to the Aust- I had my dad come uh, a few years ago, and he'd never been skiing. Uh, I think he'd never been out skiing outside of the states. So uh, we went to Austria. We actually did a whole a whole trip around that part of Europe. Going to we started in Munich. Uh, we went down through through Austria. Went to Hungary. Spent New Year's Eve in Budapest. Then we went to Slovenia my dad really wanted to visit Slovenia for some reason, which was, was amazing, uh, much more than than I was expecting. And then we went back up to Austria, went skiing and, and, uh, before finishing the trip. So, um, but no, nowadays I, I do not, I do love skiing. It's just like, it's a lot of effort. It's quite expensive and everything. Um, but I do need to, plan a trip to Andorra or something like that. Cause it's, it's not that far. And, you know, I've never, I've never been there.
1: I was, yeah, that was going to be my next question. Cause I've heard that you can ski in
0: Andorra. Yeah. Have you been in like, uh, Tasmania or something? I think that's like the, the skiing in, in Australia, right?
1: Uh, I don't know if you can ski in Tasmania, but there's, um, there's some slopes near Canberra mm-hmm. uh, that you, that you can, that you can ski in. But, um, yeah, I actually booked two ski trips, one in New Zealand and one in, uh, near Canberra. Um, we bought all of the stuff again. We've we've left all of our stuff in Europe and came over and just two suitcases. So we bought all of the ski stuff again. And then I think three weeks, maybe, yeah, three weeks before one of the trips, I, uh, I ruptured my right knee's ACL.
0: Oh God. <laughs> yeah. Sounds extremely painful.
1: Yeah. I had to go into surgery and it's about a year of recovery. So Mm-hmm. had to completely give up the hope of, of, uh, skiing for a while, but, uh, yeah, certainly a privilege, but I, I look forward to getting back to it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of fun, definitely. And I think, uh, I'm sure a lot of people listening to, uh, I know, for example, we have a lot of our team in Brazil and a lot of them have never even seen snow. So, you know, not only spending time in snow, but actually like, uh, to see it and everything and to actually like get to play in it in a sense. But that's like what I grew up with, you know, is in the winters, going skiing, building snowmen, going sledding, uh, having snowball fights, you know, all that stuff that you see in the, in the films. Yeah.
1: You you lived in, <laughs> did you live in Santiago as well?
0: In Chile? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I only lived there for six months. I think not as long okay. as you. And what, what we were year actually were you in an accelerator program there. So I didn't experience that much, but I did get to go to Patagonia and that was really mind-blowing. Nice. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Really cool. Um, I I said about that because I actually remember a couple of times when we would go up in in coaches to the slopes, because it was about, Mm. I think, an hour to two hours from the city center, which was incredible. Um, Mm -hmm. We would be in a bus full of Brazilian holiday makers. And when they (laughs) saw the snow, they were just so excited. It was like watching a kid (laughs) <laughs> yeah. For the first time that it snowed. Yeah, it was yeah.
0: so fun. Yeah, it's something I can't can't really imagine because uh it's it's something that's you know so native to me that uh, but it must be a crazy experience the first time you see snow, the first time you touch it, the first time you make a snowball, all this. Yeah. Definitely definitely a great life experience. Um we've been going on a bit, but let me uh jump into some rapid fire questions and then we're gonna play a game. So okay. um what is something that you find that you're usually really curious about? that most people are not or they don't get curious about?
1: I don't mean to sound annoying, but curiosity. I actually find like people aren't that curious and I'm always curious. I always want to ask people like their situation or like what they think of a play. My girlfriend hates it, but um, yeah, <laughs> I, I I always want to ask what's going on up there. And I, I like hearing what they what they're doing. So yeah, curiosity. I don't understand why people aren't as curious as as they could be.
0: Mm-hmm. But you said you're, you're shy or would you consider yourself introverted? Uh,
1: a bit, a bit of both. I definitely get energy from being on my own. And I, I say, that's what they kind of define as an introvert nowadays. But, um, I, I love asking like quite, un not unusual, but like my girlfriend, she's a little bit, um, shy in terms of confrontation and, mm-hmm. She would get very, very like self-conscious that we're being a bit weird to asking somebody like a question at a coffee shop about what they think of the coffee or what they think of the meal or something like that. And uh, that I very much that's how I am as like well. <laughs> <laughs> what is it you like? You like to ask?
0: No, no, my 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 like for example, my mom's really like that. Like she'll ask those kind of questions, and I, I think just because I have like a trauma from being a kid and like going through that all the time, that now it's something <laughs> that I quite dislike it's like asking yeah asking the barista their opinion on the coffee or uh asking the waiter you know i don't know have you been living here long or you know whatever the case is like
1: yeah because i always feel like those people they
0: just want to get on with their job or their life even though it's probably completely the opposite that they they appreciate you know someone uh, taking an interest you know beyond just them making their coffee or, or bringing their food or whatever the case is
1: yeah that that's it the, yeah you you feel like you're hassling them that's what my yeah. girlfriend feels uh, concerned about and I, yeah, yeah. I i don't feel like that I, I i very much like the the human connection but my youtube partner harry he's even more extreme than me and i actually yeah. feel like the anxious person when i'm socializing with him i feel like mm-hmm. we're taking up too much of your time sorry sorry
0: yeah so uh, i don't know if it's for you then it, like it, that sounds more like introverted socialization in sometimes because it's it's curiosity, maybe a deeper curiosity than just small talk, but you could correct me. I don't know if, you're, if you dig the small talk, if you're getting in the elevator and commenting on the weather. I know that's a very British thing.
1: It is a very British thing, although <laughs> I do struggle in the, in the lift. I really, mm-hmm. like even with best friends, like I can't, my mind goes blank. I don't know what it is <laughs> about a lift, but it's got a real deep anchor of awkwardness or just <laughs> silence. I try, I'm trying to get into it where I'm just like, it's fine to be silent it's fine to be silent and almost (laughs) meditate through the lift. But it's amazing. It's amazing. Like we're almost sometimes yesterday I was moving a sofa for a friend and we were going into the lift and we were Mm -hmm. having a conversation. And as soon as you get in, it almost stops the conversation and it kills it.
0: Yeah. Weird. Weird. That is a strange phenomenon. Yeah. I think the same happens to me. Maybe it's just the fact it's like a small box, weird lighting, like fluorescent lights. And sometimes, you know, the bossa nova music. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just an inherent awkwardness there. Um, So I'll ask you a final question, then we'll do the game. Uh, You mentioned Eckhart Tolle, but uh, are there, like, any other books that you recommend a lot to your students? It could be related to grammar or English, or it could be just uh, related to learning to learn or self-development or something else.
1: Yeah. Um, The one that I was actually recommended about just, like, um, a broad history of humanity that I loved was... um, Um, homo homo sapiens Sapiens? no sapiens sorry sapiens Mm -hmm. sapiens sapiens yeah um can you remember
0: the author noah Yuval harari i believe
1: that's the one that's the one yeah yeah um loved that book if if people are into um learning about how we developed as species um uh the book that eckhart tolle uh wrote not the power of now, that was his main one. The second one that was much better for me, which was called um A New Earth. A New I, Earth. That was really nice. Have you have you read that one? I,
0: heard about I, I haven't read any. I could totally actually I mean I've heard a lot about him. I've been recommended him, but uh I, I haven't gotten around to reading any of his wor- any of his work. I think I have one of those two on my book list I have the sapiens also I have not read that yet but I did the I listened recently to the audiobook of Homadeus because it talks about the future and I think that's felt more relevant to me right now but I have also sapiens on my list um but I'd be curious too what's uh, a new earth what what lessons did you take from that or how did that uh, impact your life
1: that's actually come up in our conversations about ego that
0: that was the, the main mm. thing
1: was like realizing everyone is revolving around kind of pleasure seeking and and uh, affirming their ego and mm-hmm. yeah that that book really woke me up to the idea of every action I do is, is almost ego driven and I can kind of detach from that and, and choose to to be a bit more neutral, which is yeah. It's it's something that it it's um affected pretty much all parts of my life. And I don't think mm-hmm. another book has kind of come close to that. Um I'm not I'm not um religious but um Conversations with God was a good one. Again, mm. this is quite psychological and, and quite um, self-developmenty or, or kind of figuring out the world. But um, there were there were four volumes of that. I think um, Conversations with God.
0: Who's the author?
1: Daniel Walsh. Daniel Donald. Daniel Walsh. Yeah,
0: that doesn't ring a bell. Well, we'll find it. We'll put it in the show notes, uh, which will be linked in the description. So if anyone wants to find any of those three books, uh, those are. Uh, all sound like great recommendations. I mean, as I said, I have uh, a couple of those on my, my list already, so I need to get around to reading them myself. Uh, so talking about ego, um, I think it's time for us to tickle our own egos by playing a very competitive and arousing game. Our game today involves tongue twisters. I'm gonna get Andrea on to to moderate.
2: Yeah, so in a moment I'll share my screen and Ethan will go first as well just because obviously we're proposing the game, Charlie, and it seems most fair. Uh, So Ethan will go first so you can see what it's like. But basically I'll just show you a slide and just for fun, you can see if you recognise with the images, if you recognise the tongue twister, you can let me know if you you know it. Then I'll reveal it and you basically have to try... And say the tongue twister. The first two are a bit easier. So maybe you can try and repeat them three times maybe. And then your second one that you each have is a little bit harder. So you can just try and get through it. Okay. Can you see my screen? Okay, great. So this one is for you, Ethan, this first one. Can you guess what it is based on the images?
0: Oh, yeah. I have uh, seen that. What was it? Two witches war, something about swatches and watches and something like that. Witches and watches.
2: Yeah. Okay. So. I'll oh, I it. know
1: this one.
0: Sorry.
2: Do you know it? Yeah.
0: Which witch is which?
2: Uh, no? it's slightly different. No,
1: no, no, no. Not that doesn't work. Ignore. There's a watch as well. Yeah. <laughs> which watch is which? Yeah. No.
2: I thought about that one that you mentioned, Charlie, as well initially when I saw it, but now I'll re- I'll reveal it. Oh, here we go. So cuz it's a bit shorter Ethan you can try and say it three times. Try three times. Can. Yeah.
0: Three times fast, right? Which which switched the Swiss wristwatches. Oh. <laughs> which which switched the Swiss wristwatches. Which which switched the Swiss wristwatches. It's uh, really mm-hmm. it's a Swiss Swiss wristwatches is really difficult to say. Yeah. Do you want to give it a go Charlie? <laughs> See if you can.
1: You're making me feel comfortable Ethan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which Which, (laughs) which switched the Swiss wristwatches? Which, which switched the... Oh, no. Okay. Which, which switched the Swiss wristwatches? Which, which switched the Swiss wristwatches? No, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think that one's actually quite hard. Yeah. Mm. I think the only difference in your pronunciation there is maybe the watches.
0: Watches. 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 Yeah. Watches. Watches. Uh, you must be quite good at the American accent if you lived in Ohio, in America's Ohio. heartland.
1: Uh, yeah, my, yeah I, I was always worse than my girlfriend. So whenever somebody <laughs> asked for an uh, impression, I would just be like, there you go. But yeah, maybe when reading something. Okay. The Aussie,
0: you've got the, the trifecta. Uh, <laughs>
2: so the next one is for you, Charlie. Any ideas what this tongue twister
1: is? Bald, bear, bearing, bald, Bear? No,
0: no idea.
2: <laughs> okay, let's have a look. Is it fuzzy it?
0: wuzzy? Fuzzy wuzzy was a bear. Fuzzy, fuzzy wuzzy, wuzzy had no hair.
2: Yeah, I think maybe it's a more American one. Oh why is it being slow? Has it moved it? Here we
1: go. Yeah, yeah oh, I did okay. know this one. Okay, fuzzy wuzzy was a bear. Fuzzy wuzzy had no hair. Fuzzy wuzzy wasn't very fuzzy, was he? That's that's a lot easier than the last one. I'll yeah. see if I can yeah. go quicker. Fuzzy Wuzzy was a bear. Fuzzy Wuzzy had no hair. Fuzzy Wuzzy wasn't very fuzzy, was he? Yeah, that's quite rhythmic. It's quite nice.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's one we'd say a lot when we were kids. So it's a it's a good thing she gave that to uh, that one to you.
2: Okay, I think as well, like it would make you want to say at the end rather because you want to say it fast rather than saying was he. You'd probably just want to say was he as well mm, as fuzzy wuzzy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm. Okay. Very good. Okay. So these ones get a little bit tougher
0: uh we haven't done well so far
2: <laughs> Ethan any
0: ideas I don't know it's like a gopher or a rabbit building something do you know it Charlie I do know it would a woodchuck chuck wood if a woodchuck could chuck wood ah it's a woodchuck yeah okay mm. how much how much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood oh yes. bit quicker bit quicker
2: that was very good but it goes a bit longer
0: okay so let's let's see it. Would a woodchuck chuck wood if a woodchuck could chuck wood?
2: Yeah, that's probably better. Let's try. Yeah, that's it. Okay.
0: How much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? He would chuck, he would, as much as he could. And chuck as much wood as a woodchuck would if a woodchuck could chuck wood. Mm. Oh, that one's Very not so bad. Good. Yeah.
2: It's, yeah, it's quite long. I didn't know the whole version.
0: Yeah. It's not always the, the length. It's like the combination of words, like the Swiss, Swiss wristwatches. It's just like that's a, that's really a challenge
2: yeah although that one was quite short i think that's probably been the hardest one so far
0: right i agree i agree yeah
2: okay so let's look at your last one charlie any ideas
0: uh, that's adorable this
2: one <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know this one this one's new to me
1: nothing's coming to mind um what is that meant to be chocolate
0: it looks like spread? I think it's... Peanut, peanut butter and jelly peanut yeah. butter and jelly okay peanut butter
1: well,
0: we would no say peanut butter and jam yeah, yeah. It's like g- american classic pb and j oh yeah that's that's disgusting <laughs> okay yellow butter purple jelly red
1: jam black bread that doesn't that doesn't rhyme nicely um spread it thick say it quick yellow butter purple jelly red jam black bread spread it thicker say it quicker yellow butter purple jelly red jam black bread this <laughs> so so like choppy don't eat until you are spreading it like a spread What? (laughs) can i hear your your attempt at that ethan i I imagine the american accent might do it better let me
0: try to say it faster uh yellow butter purple jelly red jam black bread spread it thick say it quick yellow butter purple jelly red jam black bread spread it thicker say it quicker yellow butter purple jelly red jam black bread don't eat it until you're spreading it like a spread not so hard. I think it's like probably meant to say it faster each time you say it, right? Because it's spread it thick, say it quick.
2: Yeah. And if
0: you speed up throughout it, maybe it would get more difficult.
2: Yeah. yeah. I think maybe as go with the American tea and then saying purple, I don't know, that can stumble, make you stumble a little bit.
0: Purple. Yellow butter, purple jelly. Yellow butter, purple jelly. Maybe.
2: Yeah.
1: Are you, Andrea, are you saying that Americans would find it harder or easier?
2: I think maybe harder.
1: Yellow butter, purple jelly. Yellow butter, butter, purple, butter, purple, butter, purple. Also
2: maybe because of the R, because we have the schwa at the end of butter. So I think it's easier for us to go into the next. Yellow butter, purple jelly, red jam, black bread, I think. Mm. I don't know. Maybe it's because if I was like yellow butter, purple jelly, I don't know. I find it harder.
0: Maybe (laughs) if you weren't reading it as well, maybe you would start to mix up the colors or something. Mm, i don't know true maybe it's supposed to be like a mental tongue twister a mental twister
2: (laughs) well well done to both of you great job i think we can all agree that the first one was a (laughs) really so it got easier
1: and and neither of us got the the ones that were dedicated to us did did we i don't think so we were both losers
2: (laughs) (laughs) no you're both winners so
0: no one's no one's ego feels too good <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we should have had uh, Charlie attempt to do the Betty Botter with a Cockney accent.
2: Mm, that's really hard.
0: <laughs> it's like Betty Betty Botter bought a batch of bitter butter, but the butter wasn't bitter. Something like that.
2: Betty Butter bought some butter, but the butter was bitter. Something like that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Betty Butter bought some butter, but the bitter butter, but the butter was bitter. No, it wasn't bitter. Um, a bit yeah, it was bitter butter. It was. Yeah, Betty Butter.
2: Betty Butter bought some butter, but she said the butter's bitter.
1: Betty Butter bought... Yeah, that's hard. If you drop the T's even more, Betty yeah. Butter bought... The, yeah, there's no kind of landing point with your the, the
0: consonants. Betty Butter bought... Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, I get lost very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to do that okay. one another time.
2: Yeah. Well it was nice to meet you charlie enjoy the rest of your conversation
0: nice
1: to meet you too thank you very much for that game was it inspired by the legendary catchphrase
2: oh i've been watching that again recently because i've got access to uk tv (laughs) so funny you said that i'm like a i just love game shows but yeah that would be a fun fun one to do as well
0: Great, Charlie. So before we wrap up, do you have any final asks for the audience? Asks for the audience? Um,
1: no. Just uh, you know, let go of your ego. Let go of your <laughs> ego. Enjoy making mistakes and uh, continuing enjoying Ethan's work. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like you're doing an amazing job. I, I can't believe that. I can't believe how big the team is. It, it, it's amazing. I've I've not actually met. Yeah, I've not met a team of YouTubers this big in the English mm-hmm. teaching industry.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Well we do a lot more than just YouTube, but uh but yeah, I appreciate that. And uh I love the the thing about ego. The first time you said it was it sounded like you were saying it like an Aussie, no? <laughs> which which one? I didn't know see that you said something like let go of your ego. Uh,
1: like <laughs> <laughs> let go of your ego, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let go of your ego. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Let go of your ego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know what you mean.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Crept in there. Great. Yeah. Uh, and where can people find more of your work? People are, you've tickled people's curiosity. Maybe they're wanting to add more, uh, more psychological coaching to their English learning.
1: Okay. Well, uh, the main focus for me is the British English podcast. So type that into any podcast app that you like. Um, or head over to the website, thebritishenglishpodcast.com. The the main focus that I do at the moment is, like, um, informal English and and teaching people how to use the idioms and phrasal verbs in context, in the right way, and and really giving them a native, like, nuanced understanding of of when to use them. Even, like, the little words, like, mate. Like, I've got a, a, um, um, a colleague who is non-native and she uses the word mate. And I've noticed she uses the, the simple word, but she uses it in the wrong way. And there's just hundreds of these examples where as a non-native, we're not attached to it. And, and we feel like we've got that confidence, but I, I want to help people get even more familiar with it um, through a native lens. So yeah, mm-hmm. the British English
0: yeah, that, uh That's kind of that cultural context, isn't it? Because like, even for even for me as an American using that, we don't really use the word mate outside of like words like a uh, roommate or workmate. Uh, so even an American could benefit from that kind of coaching if they were going to the UK.
1: <laughs> yeah, there we go. But yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It was really nice.
0: Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for all of your time and for all of your wisdom. Uh, Yeah. And and I still have more questions. So hopefully at some point we can do a round two.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to it. And uh, I look forward to having you on the British English podcast.
0: Most definitely. And we'll link that whenever uh, that's ready. We'll link it on the show notes as well. So people can go check out you interviewing, you putting me in the hot seat, in a sense, you interviewing me on, on your podcast.
1: Nice one. Look forward to it. All the best. Goodbye.
0: Thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the interview. You can find all the mentioned links and resources from this show on the show notes at reallifeglobal.com. It is also linked in the description of this episode. If English fluency is important to you, then remember to check out our real life app where you can practice listening to native speech and speak with other learners from around the world while also discovering new cultures. In addition to that, you can get a full interactive transcript and vocabulary for this interview. You will find that linked in the description or just search for Real Life English in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. For now, remember that no matter what divides us, that which unites us is far greater. See you on the next show.